It's Thursday, March the 7th, and today I'm going to give you some updates from last week's podcast. I'm going to talk about three people whose lives met one afternoon and how Canada needs to learn a lesson from these three people. I'm also talking about the climate misinformation and a generation that's eating it up. So here we go. Alright, I'm coming to you today. It is Thursday, but it's pretty late in the day, so you may not end up listening to this till Friday, but get ready. March break is coming next week, so there won't be a podcast next week because we are on March break, but I will be back the week after that. So let's get started with an update from last week. Alright, so the SNC-Lavalin scandal isn't going away. Um, yesterday, Butts testified and basically tried to just mansplain away Jody's testimony. He said they've experienced things differently and she could not possibly have made her mind up yet because he hadn't given her all of the options yet. He actually said the first time he knew her mind was made up was when she testified. Really? And this morning, Trudeau had a live press conference. It, of course, was at like 5 o'clock in the morning if you're out west and just the perfect time of the day if you're in Quebec. But besides that obvious problem, he said Jody should have come and talk to him. And he blamed her for an erosion of trust. He basically said the whole thing was in her imagination. He used the words, she saw things differently. Differently than what? Apparently nothing wrong happened, so she saw things differently than what they were in reality. All right, so there's a problem here. The problem was only her imagination, right? So Trudeau, who's a drama teacher, and Butts, who has zero legal training, are telling Jody, who is an actual lawyer, that she just imagined that things were illegal. Some people are calling for Trudeau to resign, and actually, I do not believe this, for a couple of reasons. One, it's election year, and the Canadian people should be the one who decides what happens. That's how it works in a free country. Also, History shows us that resignations before an election does not mean you're going to get a different party. For starters, remember McGinty? He stepped down and called an election, and that gave us win. who was actually worse than McGinty. We didn't think we could get worse than him. Patrick Brown stepped down, and because of that, we got Ford, which I'm okay with because I like Ford. But seriously, don't kid yourself. Trudeau stepping down is not necessarily a good thing. All right, that's our first update. So our next update is the whole trans sport story. So you remember we talked about that last week. Well, now the Olympics are going to start allowing trans to compete. So men are now just going to be dominating all of women's sports. Girls have no chance. Basically, parents, we just need to prepare our girls because professional sports is just not going to be available for them. As a mom with athletic daughters, this makes me really angry. 
Okay, two of my girls, they ride horses. And okay, I'm fine with males competing against females in that sport. But my other daughters, that's track and gymnastics. And track is really my current worry. Because this seems to be the sport boys are sort of flocking to. Because let's face it, you can show up having never done the sport before and within a few months of practice beat all the girls and probably even beat records. If you don't believe me, check out this guy named Zuby. He's a rapper with the, and he's also an Oxford grad. So he decided to try and break a women's sports record with just a few hours in the gym. He broke the UK women's deadlift record, right? Just a few hours working out in the gym and he could do that. Women's sports is over if this continues. And I'm sure that we're going to have more updates about this regularly. The third update is one from actually a long time ago, many months ago. I told you the story of Tommy Robinson. Remember, we went through the history of Tommy Robinson. And you can remember he went to prison for talking outside of court, um, as a court building, about a court case. And he was live streaming his talk and he was arrested. He ended up being released after a few months. And the case he was reporting on was a rape gang case. And I talked about the history behind that rape case a few months ago as well. So for an update, Tommy has had to move his family to a different house than him because he received so many death threats. And in fact, people are in prison right now for trying to blow his home up. So his family's home address, not his home address, his family's home address was released to Antifa by a lawyer. Antifa then showed up at his family's home where his wife and two young children were. His wife called the police and the police came and said that they were in danger and they will have to be moved to another safe house. And then a few days later, Tommy hears that, the, that his case, which was thrown out, is now being brought back. It's going to be retried and he has a chance of going to jail for up to two years. This will be the third time he will have been tried for the same, the same case of standing outside the courtroom talking about a case like it's it's absolutely mind-boggling so if you want to follow Tommy's story go to his YouTube channel and you can be kept up to date on his story because it is changing daily and it's actually very very scary all right let's jump into our first big story so we're going to be looking at the lives of three people and how everything went wrong one afternoon and how these people have warnings for Canada Theo Van Gogh was born on July 23, 1957. His father was a Dutch Secret Service agent. He was named after both his great-grandfather and his uncle. His great-grandfather was, was the brother of Vincent Van Gogh. His uncle had fought as the resistance against Hitler and had been killed. This name would prove to be prophetic. Theo would also fight against an ideology that was invading Dutch people and would lose his life doing it. Theo went to law school but dropped out to pursue his passion, film. He was successful and became a well-known actor, director, and producer. Let's look at our second character in this story. Ion was born November 13, 1969, in the brand new country of Somalia. Nine years earlier in 1960, Somalia was created when the British and the Irish government turned an Irish colony into the country of Somalia. A man named Maxam Syed Bourne took over the new country and ruled as a dictatorship until 1991 when a civil war ended his rule. Not that things got any better after that. Basically, it's been in a civil war since it's been created. But in 1969, when Ion was born, her father was sent to prison for opposing this man. 
At age five, Ayan was sent to a man who performed female genital mutilation on her. She was upset and her grandmother told her that she was now clean. As a child, Ayan would pray to Allah that her father would be released from prison. In 1977, Ayan's father escaped prison and the family moved to Saudi Arabia. Then they moved to Ethiopia. Then by 1980, they moved to Kenya. In school, Ayan embraced Islam and became a supporter of the Muslim Brotherhood. She loved the Quran and wore her hijab. Then in 1992, she learned her father was going to force her to marry a man who was a relative to her. She did not want to be married, and so she escaped to the Netherlands and claimed political asylum. In the Netherlands, she worked as a translator for refugees. She spoke English, Somalia, Arabic, Somali, and Dutch. Ayan started working for the Labour Party. Ten years after moving to the Netherlands, Ayan's faith was shattered one day, September the 11th, 2001. When she heard Osama bin Laden speak and heard him quote from the Quran, she picked up her Quran and read the verses. It was true. This horrible, horrible thing that had happened was from her Quran, the book she had dedicated her life to. Our third character in the story is Jason Walters. Jason was born in the Netherlands on March 6, 1985. His father was an American soldier and his mother a Dutch woman. He grew up in a nice subdivision and was very pro-American. He was a pro-American boy who loved the Netherlands. But in 2001, Jason converted to Islam. He changed his name to Abu Majid Amirk. Jason's parents were divorced, and he was living with his mother and two younger sisters at the time. His behavior changed so drastically, his mother and sisters ended up leaving and moving to a woman's abuse shelter because they were afraid of him. His brother, Jeremy Walters, also converted to Islam. After 9-11, they joined an Islamic group called Mohammed Bayeri. They, ca- they called out anyone in the Netherlands who was opposing Islam. So all three of these characters are now in the Netherlands. Ayan began to feel she needed protection. She was starting to speak out against Islam. She was still working for the Labour Party and she asked them for the new needed security. In her search for government security, she came across a man named Garrett, who worked for the People's Party for Freedom. Ayan ended up joining the party and in 2003 ran for office. She ran with the platform of wanting to help women and especially girls who were abused in Islam. Talking about the abuse of women in Islam was a taboo topic at the time. You know, basically the way it is today. As she was running for office, she was supported by a man named Theo Van Gogh. At this point, Theo had become a writer as well. He wrote a newspaper column and he wrote often about the Iranian Revolution and about September 11th. He was critical of Islam and didn't believe the Islamic culture could come and coexist within the Dutch culture. Theo was very opposed to the idea of multicultural. He believed the Dutch was a culture that needed to be protected. Ayan won her race and became part of the Dutch parliament. She then wrote a screenplay called Submission. Islam translated into English is the word submission. She needed a producer and a director for her new film, so she hired her new friend Theo Van Gogh, and he agreed to do it. He had written a book called Allah Wist Gier Better, which is Allah Knows Best. This book was critical of Islam, and he had already received a lot of hate from the Islamic groups. 
one group in particular, Mohamed Bayer, was very angry with him. Ayana Theo made the film, and it went like this. It was pictured nude women in see-through burqas. On their bodies were written words from the Quran, verses that not only allow abuse towards women, but actually call for this abuse. The women were then shown in scenes where they were being abused. This film brought outrage. Muslims were showing their outrage. Ayana made sure that she went nowhere without security, and she told Theo to not put his name on the film, but he refused. He was proud of the film. She told him to get security, but he laughed. This is the Netherlands. This isn't Somalia or Saudi Arabia or Ethiopia or even Kenya. This is the Netherlands. What are you worried about? That doesn't happen. Those type of things don't happen here. But the ideology that had caused Ayan to be mutilated as a child in Somalia had been in Saudi Arabia and in Ethiopia. And that ideology had tried to force a marriage in Kenya. That ideology does not stop at a border. It's an evil ideology and it spreads its hate and violence wherever it goes. One afternoon, Theo was attacked by a man on the street. He was stabbed to death and his body left on the sidewalk, the knife still in him. Between the blade and Theo's body was a note, Ion is next. The Mohammed group met and waited to hear. Soon the head Soon they heard the news. The man Theo had been killed. There was rejoicing. The next step in the plan needed to start. Abu, whose real name was Jason Walter, stepped up. He was the next attacker. He would kill Ion and a man named Gert Wilders, another man who had used art to spread and speak against Islam. But before Jason could leave the house, it was surrounded by police. For 14 hours, the police had the house surrounded while Jason and his friends fought back. Jason threw hand grenades at the police, but after 14 hours, the police made it into the home and the men were arrested. The plan to kill Ayan and Greet was found and Jason was sentenced to 15 years in prison. Jason, an American who grew up in a quiet subdivision in the Netherlands, was in prison for Islamic terror. This is an ideology that is not a race. In prison, Jason began reading out of boredom. He read philosophy books and he began to see just how, well, stupid Islam is. After nine years in prison, Jason was released May 2013 and he began working again, but this time as an anti-terrorist expert. He began helping with the war on terror by showing how Islam is spread. In prison, he got a degree in psychology, and he now tries to explain the psychology of the terrorist. Ayan now travels and speaks in North America, and she has a message for us. Here is her message. I disagree with my father. It was a gradual process that started when I entered and lived in societies such as the Netherlands and the United States that applied man-made constitutions and laws. Both countries are peaceful and prosperous. I now disagree even more with my father that Islam is a religion of peace. When I look at the amount of security that is deployed tonight here, the amount of security that is deployed for the Richmond Marathon, Six months ago, 
the Boston Marathon was bombed by two brothers who invoked the founding document and the founding father of Islam. I disagree with my father when I look at the wanton killing of a Westgate Mall in Nairobi by Somali men invoking Allah and Muhammad to justify their horrid act. Kenya is the most hospitable country to Somalis fleeing their own country. So it distresses me even more. I disagree with my father when I look at the reports this week of 30 men and women worshipping in Iraq who are killed by a suicide bomber invoking the very same God and the very same prophet that they invoke. I disagree with my father when he says that Islam is a religion of peace. When I look at the 120,000 dead in Syria, Syria is now a stage of a proxy war between Islam's two most important and most influential nations, the Sunni Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and the Shia Islamic Republic of Iran. I disagree with my father that Islam is a religion of peace when I read about the almost daily reports of the destruction of churches, the pillaging of Christian property, the rape of Christian women, the terrible exodus of Christians and other religious minorities from Muslim countries. All this is done by men who invoke the founding father and founding documents of Islam. I disagree with my dear beloved father when I read about the teenage girl in Pakistan who's shot point blank in the head by a man invoking Allah and Muhammad because she wanted education. In the name of Allah and Muhammad, women are forbidden to drive. They're forbidden to own their own reproductive rights. They're forbidden to do anything unless they have permission from a male guardian. I disagree with my father that Islam is a religion of peace when I read these founding documents and I study the history and the example of the Prophet Muhammad. In there, I find an insistence of war and intolerance towards infidels, the hypocrites, those who associate God with others, homosexuals, women, and so on. What Islam needs is not a denial of these overwhelming and compelling facts. Islam needs a reformation. Muslim leaders who are serious about achieving true and enduring peace need to revise the Quran and the Hadith so that there is a consistency between what the peace-loving Muslims want and what their religion says. That's the message she has for us. That is her speaking in North America. This week, Jason Walters had a message for us as well. The RCMP announced this week that we, Canada, the RCMP, are not prepared for the ISIS members who are returning to Canada. At this point, they know of 12. So think about that. In 2015, there were more than 28,000 RCMP members. And they're not prepared for 12 returning ISIS and what 12 returning ISIS might do? This was a report that came out this week on Global News. 
Jason Walters, spoke with a Canadian journalist named Abigail Eamon, and she wrote a column and looked into a Dutch report Jason was part of. Jason says that there's been a lull in terrorist attacks and that that's not a good thing because it means that something big is coming. He warned Canada there is no way to prepare. The idea that these men and women have stopped being radical is just stupid. This cannot happen without years of isolation from Islam. So we need to listen to these three people. Listen to the death of a man who was trying to save the Netherlands. Listen to the words of a woman who has lived this ideology and knows it is not peaceful. Listen to the experience of a boy who was sucked into the world of extremism right in the middle of a nice part of town in the Netherlands. We need to know what is in our country. These ISIS who are returning started out here in Canada. They were recruited and made into extremists while they were here in Canada. We cannot think as Theo did. We cannot believe that somehow our border has magic powers. And when Islam crosses our border, it somehow changes. It's an ideology. And we just need to look at every single country that is predominantly Islamist to know what Canada is going to look like if we don't do something. But what can we do? That's the question. And what makes me a little concerned is that apparently the RCMP don't know what to do either. But most of the people are just going to ignore this report from the global news. It means nothing to them that the RCMP said that they're not prepared for 12 ISIS members. They're going to ignore Jason, telling them that there is no way that these people are not extremely radical. We've been ignoring this woman for years now. And the death of Theo is just one amongst so many victims of Islamic terror that doesn't even bother us. We've heard the sentence... Islam is a religion of peace so many times that it is the first sentence we think of when we hear the word Islam. So we won't even take this warning until it's too late. If you have any questions, and if you're thinking, I think I want to hear more, if maybe just a little bit of doubt about Islam has creeped into your mind, then check out Ion on YouTube. And check out other ex-Muslims living in Canada and the United States who are trying to warn us. Check out One Godless Woman and The Apostate Prophet or just Google stories from ex-Muslims and listen to them. They are trying to warn us. I know when you're brainwashed, it's hard and it's almost impossible to see the world is different than what you believe it is. And sadly, this is not only true about Islam, I see this with environmentalists all the time as well. And this week, I was reminded again of how badly our children are being brainwashed, and it's not their fault. They've been taught to accept anything said in the name of environmental responsibility. They've been taught this by children's TV shows since birth, and from kindergarten on through university and college over and over and over again. Unless they have a person in their life who's monitoring the propaganda and is giving them another narrative, they have no chance but to accept it as the only reality. What makes me so angry is that these kids live not only in one of the best countries in the world, but also in the very best time in history. It has never been a better time to be alive than today. But we've terrorized this generation to the point where they believe that they are doomed 
This week, I watched videos of beautiful young women saying even though they would like to have children, they've decided not to because the world is going to end and that's not fair for their future children. So what some people were looking at these videos, some were laughing at them, some were saying, great, we don't want stupid people like you having kids and spreading on your lies. But when I saw those videos, I thought these poor girls are going to give up being moms for a lie. It's a lie. We're not all going to die in the next 12 years. Listen, the people telling you this don't even believe it themselves. If they did, they would change their own behavior. AOC was on a live stream telling young women not to have babies until the world gets fixed. And while making this video, she throws out two plastic bags in the garbage. And then she adds her vegetable peels to the same garbage. At the same time, telling vulnerable young women they should give up motherhood. She couldn't even recycle or compost, but she's telling these women to give up on motherhood. And then when she was asked about this in an interview, and this is a quote of what she said, I can be upset that I get 10 plastic bags at the grocery store and then I have to toss out those bags because the recycling program is like too hard. Okay, so just remember, this is the same person who wanted to tear down every building in the United States and build a new one that was environmentally friendly. She wanted to build a massive railway that goes as fast as a plane and she wanted to end all air transportation and kill every cow all in 10 years. But putting a bag in the recycling bin or bringing her own reusable bag to the grocery store is too hard? Come on. Al Gore told us that the sea was going to rise and destroy all the communities around the ocean. And then he bought a multi-million dollar beachfront mansion with the proceeds from that movie. Clearly, he did not believe his own lie. They don't believe it themselves, but they're forcing it on our children. This week on my Facebook feed was a picture of a tweet by someone who said that everyone on Twitter was talking about name a bunch of celebrities, but no one cares that by 2020, two thirds of the animals might be dead. And this was next to a picture of a dying polar bear. Now, I have no idea who this person is who made up this tweet, and I'm not trying to make this person sound stupid. I am pointing out that this generation has come to believe that we must never question anything. That's about environmental responsibility. The picture of this bear has been proven to be a hoax, and National Geographic and the photographer have both apologized for it. So the picture was false. But when I pointed that out, I was told it didn't matter if the picture was a hoax. It's the text that matters. First of all, if the picture is a hoax, you should probably walk away from the rest of it because the person tweeting didn't take the time to check into the text, the picture. They probably didn't take a time to to check in if the text was accurate. But let's look at the text. It said, so by 2020, that's next year, two thirds of all the animals might die. Now, she did say might. So I guess technically this is accurate. I mean, anything might happen. We might have a massive earthquake that kills everyone in North America. Probably won't happen. I mean, pretty much guarantee that won't happen, but it might. You never know. But since this tweet was made to make you feel bad for not caring, or it was made to judge people who are not environmentalists, I'm going to say she's leaning towards believing this is accurate. So if you took all the animals in the entire world and divided them into three equal groups, Two of these groups are going to die next year? Really? You really believe that's going to happen? 
And the thing is, they do. They really believe that we are on the brink of doom. Okay, so if you're listening and that's you, let me give you some history. Let's go back to 1970, the first ever Earth Day. And this is what they were saying in 1970. Civilization, this is number one. Civilization will end within 15 to 30 years unless immediate action is taken against problems facing mankind. 1970, all of civilization would be dead in 15 to 30 years. Well, I was born in 1977 and I'm over 40, so that didn't happen. All right, number two, population will inevitably and completely outstrip whatever small increases in food supplies we make. The death rate will increase until at least 100 to 200 million million people per year will be starving to death within the next 10 years. Okay, so by 1980, every single year, 100 to 200 million people were going to... First of all, there's a pretty big jump between 100 to 200 million. So that's right there. Obviously, it was made up and no science was put into there. But by 1980, we're supposed to be dying 100 to 200 million per year from starvation. We're supposed to all be starving to death, okay, since 1970. All right, number three. Most of the people who are going to die in the greatest catastrophe in history of man have already been born. Some experts feel that the food shortages will have escalated the percent level of world hunger and starvation into famines of unbelievable portions. Other experts, more optimistic, think the ultimate food population will not end until the 1980s. I don't know. There's still food out there, so I think we're pretty good. Okay. Number four is another quote from Earth Day. First one, 1970. It's already too late to avoid mass starvation. There you go. In 1970, it was already too late to do anything. We're all going to starve to death. Okay, number five. In a decade, so we're talking 1980s now, urban dwellers will have to wear gas masks to survive air population. By 1985, air population will have reduced the amount of sunlight reaching us by half. Okay, so we're all supposed to be by since the 1980s. So if you've been born since 1985, this was supposed to happen before you were even born. All right, we're all supposed to be walking around with gas masks and only half of the sun is supposed to be reaching us. All right, number six. At the present rate of nitrogen buildup, it's only a matter of time before light will be filtered out of the atmosphere and none of our land will be usable, right? None of the land, all of the earth, no land is supposed to be usable. Okay, number seven. Air pollution is certainly going to take hundreds of thousands of lives within the next few years alone, right? So in the 1970s, the problem of air pollution was going to kill hundreds of thousands of people still in the 1970s. All right. Okay. Here's another one. Oh, here they jumped way, way in the future. Way in the future. Okay. By the year 2000, if present trends continue, we will be using up crude oil at such a rate that there will be no more crude oil. We'll drive up to the pump and say, fill her up, buddy. And he'll say, I'm very sorry, there just isn't any left. 
I don't know. I filled my car up for gas. For very expensive gas, by the way. We could lower the price on that gas. That would be great. But I filled up uh, today my gas tank. So I think we're still good. And uh, it's a little bit past the year 2000. Okay, number nine. One theory assumes that the Earth's cloud cover will continue to think thicken as more dust and fumes and water vapor are bleached into the atmosphere by industry smokestacks and by jet planes. Screened from the sun's heat, the planet will cool, the water vapor will fall and freeze, and we will be in a new ice age. So I don't know if you knew this, before there was the um, global warming, they had global cooling. So they're like freaking everyone else because the world was going to freeze, the planet was going to freeze. And then the planet didn't freeze and actually was heating up. So then they panicked all the world saying, oh no, now the world's going to like burn up because it's going to like global warming. We're all going to die because the world's too hot. And then uh, it stopped heating. So now they just say climate change. And it's cooling now. So I'm going to guess that we're going to go back to the we're all going to die because we're going to freeze um, scenario. But they were panicking us in the 70s that we were going to be an ice age with global freezing and then it was global warming and now it's climate change, but whatever. All right. Within 10 years, we're going to run out of food. This is what they said in 1975, uh, a Newsweek article, The Cooling World. And they said, there are ominous signs that the Earth's weather patterns have begun to change dramatically and that these changes may portrait a drastic decline in food production with serious political implications for just about every single nation on earth. The drop in food outtake could begin quite soon, perhaps just 10 years from now. So by 1985, we're supposed to be having mass wars over food. We have had mass wars. That has happened. But it hasn't been over food. Talked a little earlier about a certain ideology that's been part of some of our wars. Okay. Um, apparently also, according to the 1970s, this starvation is going to affect Canada. So this is a quote from the same news article. The regions destined to feel its impact are the great wheat-producing lands of Canada, the USSR, and the North. So Canada, we're supposed to be one of those countries starving to death um, due to the global freezing, because that's what it was going to be in the 70s. All right, here's another one. A billion people are going to die from carbon dioxide-induced famines. So this was from this guy named John Horden. Uh, he wrote this book called Population Bomb, which predicted mass starvation. So in 1971, he said um, that a billion people are going to die in a carbon dioxide-induced famines, and this would be part of the new ice age, and that by the year 2020, so this is next year, by the year 2020, we're going to see a billion people die from hunger. So I'm just, I mean, I, one of those might happen things, right? Maybe this is where this girl gets this idea. Oh, I read it back in 1970. They said by 2020, this was going to happen. So I guess that's how two thirds of the animals are going to die. It's going to be starvation by 2020. It must be like a magical thing that happens in January. Like we're fine. 2019 is okay. We're all good. But, um, you know, if we don't like this year, kill all the cows, that 2020 year is coming up. And a billion people are going to die from starvation and two-thirds of the animal. Okay, here's another prediction. By the year 2000, United Kingdom will be simply a small group of impoverished islands, and England will not even exist anymore. So all of these predictions were from the 70s, and they were all clearly crazy. They're crazy people. None of that stuff happened. 
But the new ones they're coming up with are just as stupid. In 2001, we were told we were going to stop having snowfalls. But by 2014, we had a record amount of snowfall. And Al Gore said sea levels were going to rise because of melting Arctic and Greenland. But we actually have more ice now than we did when he made the movie. So that beachside mansion he has is completely safe. And he knew it would be. Why would he spend millions of dollars on a beachside mansion if he actually thought that the water was going to rise and destroy all the houses in the area? And then there's this whole polar bear prediction. They're supposed to be all dead by now, by the way. We're not even supposed to have polar bears to take pictures of. And that's why that photographer went to capture the dying polar bears. He actually thought this was true. But instead, he found a thriving polar bear communities. And then just by luck, he found one bear that was sick with some kind of a disease. And that's the only one he took pictures of. It's almost like he was trying to lie to you. And in fact, they are. Because the polar bear population is doing fine. It's actually growing to a point where people are starting to get worried that there might be too many of them. By 2014, there was supposed to be no ice left in the Arctic. None by 2014. But a year later in 2015, not only was there still ice, but there was the largest freeze in history. The Sahara Desert is supposed to be today a massive famine and everyone's dead. But the desert has actually started growing flowers because as it turns out, CO2 is actually something plants like. They actually love it. It helps them grow. Crazy how that works. So what does this mean? Well, it means you can chill out and relax. We're not all dying next year. You can go ahead and have children and they are going to be fine. Please. And use critical thinking when you're talking about environmental responsibility. Sure, don't throw your trash on the ground. That's, for one thing, that's just disrespectful to everyone. And reuse your plastic bags. I don't know anyone just takes plastic bags and throws them in the garbage. Everyone that I know uses them to either pick up crap in their backyard or to put in their garbage bins like as, pl- as garbage bags. I, no one does that. No one just throws them out. Compost your vegetables and don't hurt animals. That's just, don't do that. That's not nice. All of these are good things. Go and do all of those things. But remember that environmentalists, that movement is a religion. And it's kind of a cultish religion. If you feel like you have to believe everything you read that is pro-environmental responsibility without questioning it, or if you feel guilty if you question it, you might be brainwashed and part of a cult. And if the leaders of this cult are asking you to do things that they are not doing, that should make you angry. And if believing in the doctrine of the cult means you have to give away your freedom or your dreams, you need to worry. So how does a Christian look at this? Well, first of all, Jesus said in the end times, people will worship the creation instead of the creator. So one, don't be one of those people. Two, the book of Revelation says that there is going to come a time when there will actually be mass catastrophe on the planet. And there will be a lot of animals that die. This is one third, not two thirds, one third. You can listen to my study on this on my video series on my website. Go to lauraleesiemens.com or on YouTube and check out my Bible series um, videos. And we are going through the book of Revelation, one video each day. So you will see that, yes, in the future, there will be mass catastrophe on the planet. But Jesus said that that was going to happen. Okay, number three, love truth. Remember this, truth will set you free. So seek truth, demand truth, and be angry when people lie. 
This is true in other aspects of your life. It should be true in this aspect as well. Make it a priority when it comes to environmental movement to demand truth. Four, God did put us in charge of a planet and ask us to take care of it. So yes, take care of the planet. Okay, that's this week's podcast. It's a lot to think about. And like I said, though, there is hope. All right, we don't need to be, the world is ending, there is hope. But of course, the best hope of all comes from Jesus Christ. So I'm going to end the way I always end. Remember that what separates us from other faiths, faiths is this, love. The idea that God, God loves us. The idea that justice and mercy were both found at the cross. God, who is our creator and loves us, also had to deal with sin So he himself came to earth and proved who he was by forgiving sin and healing people and calming the sea. And then Jesus allowed people to kill him so that justice could be served. But then on the cross, he took your justice, which was mercy. And then he rose again. And now if we confess our sins and ask for forgiveness, we will be free free from both the penalty of sin and the power of sin. And that's the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. I'm Laura Lee Siemens. For more blogs, videos, podcasts, check out my website at lauraleesiemens.com.